Welcome to the Atomic Readers Podcast. I'm your host and friend, Steve Fennell. And today I'm sharing with you five non-fiction books I'd grab if the house was on fire. I'm sure you can appreciate that I'd prefer if the house didn't actually go on fire. But for the sake of this episode, everybody got out safely. All is good. And I managed to grab these five books on the way. Quickly about the list, I've tried to vary it. Some short books, some longer ones. And I have put the books in order of importance. That's not to say these are the five best books ever written, but they resonate with me the most at this stage of my life. And if I was to create this list in 10 years time, I'm sure there might be a couple of books that would stay there, but I'd probably add some new ones too. As with all lists, I'm sure you'll disagree with some of the choices or you'll tell me that I've left something out. And that's part of the course, right? That's part of the fun. You're never going to create a list that everybody agrees with. But if you spot something that I've left off or you want to share your own list with me, just reach out to me on Instagram. You can find me there, Atomic Readers, or email atomicreaderspodcast at gmail.com and let me know what you would add or take out or do differently. If you're ready, I am too. Let's do it. Let's get straight in. So book number five is Self-Control, It's Kingship and Majesty by William G. Jordan. And here's a notable quote from the book. Man's greatest enemy is himself. Man in his weakness is the creature of circumstances. Man in his strength is the creator of circumstances. Whether he be victim or victor depends largely on himself. What's the book actually about? It's a bit of a hidden treasure, this one, because it was actually written in 1905. And it's strange because hardly anybody knows about this book. It doesn't have a huge amount of ratings on Goodreads. And when I talk to other book accounts, it never comes up but it's actually pure gold. And the, the mad thing is it's 70 pages long, but it has wisdom about a whole range of different subjects. So it touches off self-control, communication, simplicity, conquering doubt, dealing with regrets. And every time I crack it open, I find something new, whether it's just a new interpretation or just a dose of motivation that pushes me towards action. There's other self-help books on the market when I look around and I see they're selling for, you know, 20, $25. And this book is out there for $4, or I'm sure given the age, it's probably in the public domain, which means you can find it for free somewhere online. And I really hope more people can listen to this episode and learn about this book because it'll make a huge difference to your life. And when I think about how the book has impacted my life, how have I actually applied what I've learned from it? I would say this book has impacted my life in many ways, especially on days when the self-doubt creeps in. It's there to help me reset and it reminds me that each day is a chance to do better. You can start again. That's one of the messages in the book. Um, and sometimes I find it's quite a calming influence as well when things get a bit hectic because it's all about self-control. Being in control of yourself rather than the external circumstances dictating how you act and your mood. It's all about making the most of this one shot we have at life so that we can look back and we feel proud of what we've achieved. And this book will absolutely help you do it. So Highly recommend it. Book number four, This is Water by David Foster Wallace. Here's a notable quote from the book. The really important kind of freedom involves attention and awareness and discipline and being able truly to care about other people and to sacrifice for them over and over in myriad, petty, unsexy ways every day. That is real freedom. What is it about? This is Water is actually a commencement speech. He gave it to a graduating class in 2005 at Kenyon College. And it starts with a famous didactic. 
a didactic being like a moral lesson. Quote, These two young fish are swimming along and they happen to meet an older fish swimming the other way, who nods at them and says, Morning boys, how's the water? And the two young fish swim on for a bit and then eventually one of them looks over at the other and goes, What the hell is water? And I love that because Wallace is basically telling us that we often get so wrapped up in our own daily lives, our own routines, that we miss the bigger picture. It's like the fish in the water that don't recognise or notice the water all around them. And this is what happens to us. And we have this world of experiences, but it's like living on autopilot because we're just not aware because we're focused so much on ourselves. The speech isn't about teaching us what to think. It's about how to think. It's about realising that we have the power to choose what we pay attention to and what we think about, but only if we're aware enough, only if we recognise the water all around us. How has it impacted my life? In so many ways. And as part of the speech that always comes to mind when I'm standing in a long queue in the supermarket, and only recently, just the weekend that's gone, uh, I didn't get to the supermarket until late in the day. It was like three o'clock. There weren't many people on the tills. And as I looked at the length of the supermarket, I could just see lots of sullen-faced people standing behind shopping carts in long lines, just waiting to get done. And Wallace talks about this. He says, quote, I'm going to be pissed and miserable every time I have to food shop because my natural default setting is that situations like this are really all about me and my fatigue and my desire to just get home. And it's going to seem for all the world like everybody else is just in my way. And who the fuck are all these people in my way? I've worked really hard all day and I'm starved and I'm tired and I can't even get home to eat and unwind because of all these stupid goddamn people. But here's the twist. He goes on to realise that not everyone else is in his way. It's actually him who's in their way. This simple flip in how you see the world and how you perceive things around you That reminds us and it reminds me all the time that life isn't just about me. And I had this exact insight as I stood in the queue. I looked at everybody else. I could have just put my earphones in. I could have had a grumpy look on my face. I could have resigned myself to the fact that this is a horrible experience and then put that energy out into the world. But I didn't. Instead, I smiled at a few people. I cracked a few jokes. I got talking to people at the tills and things just seemed easier. And it's just that realisation that this isn't just me in this world experiencing this difficulty or this challenge. Even if some other people don't see it that way, it's okay. But when we truly grasp that truth, then it just nudges us to be a little bit more conscious, a little bit more kinder and a bit more understanding. And I think being able to distill that message so well um, in a way that you can apply it in your life makes this a genuine five star book. And I really love it. Okay, so we're moving into the medals. It's a top three. I have them all polished up and shined, ready to hand out. Bronze medal, in this case, goes to book number three. It's Letting Go by David Orr Hawkins. Here's a notable quote from the book. Because most people throughout their lives repress, suppress and try to escape from their feelings, the suppressed energy accumulates and seeks expression through bodily disorders, emotional illnesses and distorted behaviour in interpersonal relationships. And I often think, what did I do before I had the book Letting Go? And usually the answer is I probably let go less, right? Which means I held on to more. And I think this book is an absolute treasure. It should be studied in school, in my opinion. Um, And it's one of the most used books in my collection. If I looked at it, the notes that I've taken, the dog ears, it's not one that I read consistently. 
But when I do get into it, I spend a lot of time in it. And that's why it's so powerful and so valuable. And what really hits home in it is that Hawkins uses something called the scale of emotions. This runs from peace at the top down to shame at the bottom, and it has all the other emotions in between. And they ju- it just gives us more insight and knowledge so that you can lead a more productive life. And when I think about how it's impacted my life, if I was being truthful and I want to share a little bit about myself, I would say that 2021 was the most challenging year I can think of for a long time in my life. It was post-COVID and I just felt lost, like genuinely looking for purpose. And it was pretty dark. And that's when this book stepped in and it offered me understanding because understanding was actually what I really needed. I find when it comes to emotions, it's the unknown is the scariest thing. We get these emotions that come at us. Sometimes we don't even know why. And then they become very hard to tame and you start to create beliefs and stories and narratives about them because you don't know what to do with them. That's been common for me, at least, when faced with these emotions. And they can be crippling because I always just think to myself, it's like being lost in a forest and you don't have the map. But it's the understanding. That's what has brought me the most comfort. That's the the ray of light in the darkness. When you don't know why you're there and you don't know how you get out of there and you don't know what you're experiencing fully, a book like this comes along and it just opens up your mind completely and it shines a light and it gives you that understanding. And it's amazing that way. And Hawkins said in the book, quote, emotions are connected with what we believe will ensure our survival, not what actually will. And that's why I talked previously just about the understanding and the beliefs bit, because the emotion comes and then you create the story around it. But if you can understand the emotion before you believe the emotion and you can catch it there, that's what makes the big difference. And our emotions are driven usually by fear and these beliefs that we have around them, even though they often don't match up with the reality. And if we buy into this narrative, it wreaks havoc on our lives. And so for me, it's just a powerful reminder to be conscious of the stories that we tell ourselves and how they shape our emotional responses. And then to be aware of when the emotions come on us to better understand them so that that can influence the beliefs and the stories. And it's kind of a circle. It's a, it's a loop. And once you get into that frame of mind where you can work with this to better understand it, then your life takes a totally different change. And this book will help you do that. It's not the easiest book in the world. But then when you're dealing with emotions, I don't think emotions are very easy things to deal with either. But he does present it in a very comprehensible way. You know, you hear this a lot where people talk about toolkits, where, you know, you need your mental health toolkit or your emotional toolkit. I always just imagine this book as basically the most well-stocked, perfectly arranged toolkit that you could find uh, ready to go. It's right there. So a complete game changer, a real life impactor of a book. Yeah, massive, massive recommendation from my side. Okay, silver medal. And it's been given to book number two, which is Man's Search for Meaning by Victor E. Frankel. And given how special this book is to me, I'm going to deviate from the format where I've included one quote so far. I'm going to pick two because they're just fantastic. Quote number one, everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. Quote number two, when we are no longer able to change a situation, we are challenged to change ourselves. This one holds a special place in my heart. All right. So I encountered this many years ago during a period of life when I really needed it. And the great thing about this book is it's all about agency and choice and not feeling powerless. 
And Frankel understands this better than most, given that in September of 1942, he, his wife and his parents, they were all removed from their home in Vienna and taken to a concentration camp. He was the sole survivor. Not only had he to deal with the trauma of the experience of the concentration camp, but also the survivor's guilt. The book does recount some of those harrowing experiences. He also chronicles the journey afterwards. And this is where he developed logotherapy. He set up a practice. He helped so many different people. At its core, the book places individual responsibility at the heart of everything. So it's about a man who lost it all, but the one thing that he could control, which was his attitude and his outlook, and how from that pit of suffering came so much love and care. And how has it impacted my life? It's interesting. Initially, I used to use this book for comparison. If you think you have a bad, think about how bad Frankel had it. And eventually that started to become not very constructive because the reality is, is that each of our circumstances are most important to us, regardless of the gravity of them, really. My toothache is like the most important thing in the world to me. If he was in a concentration camp, it's the most important thing in the world to him. I'm not making comparisons to say that they're the same. But when something is really impacting you in your life, I find it's best not to downplay it, but realize that it means something serious to you and you should address it. And now this book empowers me to be a better person, to want to help others, to not submit to feeling helpless or to blame others or to blame circumstances. And Marcus Aurelius, the Stoic philosopher, he said, the soul becomes dyed with the color of its thoughts. And much of what Frankel writes about is actually based on Stoicism. And it's what you can and can't control. And that's the great thing is that we always have the power to control our attitude or our outlook or change it if we choose to. And so I'll also give a shout out to the audiobook on this one. It's narrated by a man called Simon Vance, who is a truly wonderful narrator and speaker. And he adds so much depth in the way that he delivers it. So if you have Audible or a chance to listen to him narrate this book, I would highly recommend that one as well. As much as I've read the book, I've also listened to it multiple times too. So an essential, life-affirming, hell of a book, both for the writing, the message, the storytelling, everything. It's amazing. Okay, we've reached the gold medal position. This is it. This is the creme de la creme, top of the pops, the number one. And I mentioned Stoicism when talking about man's search for meaning. And all the time, Stoicism shows up as the basis of psychotherapy and cognitive therapies. And so it's only fitting then that my number one pick is a Stoicism book, and it is The Discourses by Epictetus. And before we jump in, maybe you're thinking, who the hell is Epictetus and what are the discourses? We'll get to that. But before that, I'll give you one of about a thousand quotes I could have picked from the book, and it's this. What are we to do then? To make the best of what lies within our power and deal with everything else as it comes. How does it come then? As God wills. Now, don't get too hung up on the God part because the Stoics often refer to God as the the general universe or logos. That's like the unseen force that gives order to the world. It may not be God, it may be the universe, so don't worry about that. Epictetus, if you're wondering though, he was born a slave actually in 50 AD and he had his own school of teaching. And the core concept of Epictetus and why it's also powerful and why it influences behavioral therapies in so many ways is that he focuses on something called the dichotomy of control. And you can see from the quote that I used, Epictetus urges us to focus on what lies within our power and then to be at one with the things that are not within our power. And if you can do that, you'll live a far less complicated life than most people. 
And the discourses itself actually consists of four notebooks and it covers a whole massive range of topics from anger to self-examination to judgments. And it's a monster of a book. And I don't mean that in its size because it's only 280 pages long. What I mean is just the, the pure depth and wisdom within it. And you'll never finish it. You, it's not a book where it's like, I read everything and now I'm at the end and I'm done. You'll always go back in. You'll always find something new. How you see the world changes. So how you see and interpret his words changes. And so it's just so rich. The best way I can describe it is it's just a manual for life. And if you want a shorter version of it, there's something called the Enchiridion or the Handbook. This is a concise version of the discourses. It's a lot more accessible. It's a lot easier. It's a lot shorter. And it's a great entry point. So if you do want to experience the benefits of Stoicism and particularly Epictetus and the discourses, take a look at the Enchiridion and uh, you'll really enjoy that one. So main thing, last of all, how has this impacted my life? If I had to pick one word that I associate with the impact of this book, it would be freedom. And that's freedom from being attached to things, freedom from judgments, freedom from expectations and freedom from just being pulled all around by my emotions and the random events that happen in the world. I'm human. I'm not suggesting that I live this 100% peaceful, idyllic life where nothing disturbs me. But it has greatly allowed me to break my life up into two segments. And I do, on a day-to-day basis, genuinely operate this way. And anybody who knows me will tell you this. I'm such a focuser on what I can control. And I really don't worry about what I can't. And so by doing that, I put all my energy into taking responsibility for what I can control, which are my judgments, my views, my attitude, my opinion, what I say, and I discard what I can't. They're the judgments of others or the news or war or death or the weather. And it's not that I'm ignorant of them or I don't care about other people. It's just I can't control certain aspects of the world, but it doesn't mean that I'll switch off completely to them. But at some point I do have to focus on what I can control and that's what helps me live a better life. And once I leaned into the dichotomy of control and I started to understand a lot more than where not just my pain and suffering would come from, but where it comes from for other people as well. And it's usually an attachment to something that's outside of your control, where she says something or he says something and then we take offense by it and then we blame that person for what they said but yet they may continue to say it or they may continue to act in a certain way. So it just helps you to start looking at things like it's not what the other person does, it's how you choose to think about it and how you choose to respond to it. And doing this has just allowed me to better understand other people's perspectives and it's given me a whole new perspective on life. And I think if you were to lean into this philosophy, into stoicism overall, it would really help you in that way as well. I could talk about this book all day, literally, but the best compliment I can give it is that if you study it, and I mean truly study it, which is committing to the fact that it's going to be a bit of a difficult read at the start, there's going to be a lot to learn, but maybe it's just a page a day. If you do that, it will help you to at least start to see the world in a different way. And I never thought I could live in such a free and empowering way. But when I encountered Stoicism, and when I particularly studied Epictetus, It has done that for me and I never thought this would be possible. Absolute gold star of a book. It's been here for a couple of thousand years. I think it'll be here for thousands more. So please, while you still have a chance on this earth to read something fantastic, make it The Discourses by Epictetus. All right, that's a wrap. So here's a quick recap of just the books and the authors in order. 
Book number five was Self-Control, It's Kingship and Majesty by William G. Jordan. Number four, This is Water by David Foster Wallace. Number three, Letting Go by David Orr Hawkins. Number two, Man's Search for Meaning by Victor E. Frankel. And number one, Top of the Pops, Discourses by Epictetus. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to follow and leave a five-star rating because it helps others to find the podcast when they might need it the most. I've included all the links to the books in the show notes if you want to pick them up. Please note as well that these are affiliate links, which means if you purchase them at no cost to you, I get a small percentage of the sale, which helps me to buy more books and keep the podcast going. So until next time, thank you for listening to the Atomic Readers podcast. Be kind, be persistent, be exceptional, and most of all, keep reading. Ciao. Truly unhappy child when I don't have a good book to read right next to me.